0: Greetings and welcome back to The Dive, the weekly podcast series in which we explore issues that were brought up in the previous week's Daf Yomi section, and we take a look at them in depth and take, use it as an opportunity to explore some uh, broader Shas topics and conceptual issues. Uh, my name is Yitzhak Yat Shalom. I'm delighted to uh, be studying this is our 13th Shior in uh, Masachat Shabbat, and we are now going to take a look at the issue of Hatra Tra'ah Shabbat. And the term how trial will be explained within the context of this year. We'll start with our Sugya, which is towards the end of Parakamatzniya, which we covered last week. Um, and the um, the Mishnah had mentioned Godelat, uh, which is uh, braiding hair and the problem of braiding hair on Shabbat. And the Gemara then goes to the following question. It's uh, this is the first source, and it is on Shabbat tzadi Dalid Amud Bet. Godelet kochelet u pokeset. So Godelet is braiding hair. Kochelet uh, seems to be applying some sort of blue um, eye shadow. And pokeset is putting on some sort of rouge. Mishum mai michaiva. Based on what or within, for what reason are you liable for doing that on Shabbat? Now, the nature of this question is something we have to explore. Is the Gemara asking, are you chayav? Meaning, is, is it a prohibition? The Mishnah already established it is. So saying, so what's the reason for the prohibition? Under what category is the prohibition exist? Or there may be something a little bit finer that we need to deal with. In the meantime, we'll park the question, we'll come back to it. So he says, Godelet mishum oreget. That braiding hair is a is a within the context of or is a subset of weaving. Kochelet mishum kotevet. That putting on the blue uh, eyeshadow is a subset of writing. Pokeset mishum tova. Evidently, there's some sort of a weaving involved, uh, sort of like spinning flax. So the students said to Rabbi Avahu when he repeated this. Is this the way that people normally weave and normally write and normally spin flax? In other words, none of the, none of these things seem to fit the model that you're claiming. Ali Rabbi Rabbi Ravau himself said, "I heard it directly from Yosif Rabbi In this is a quote from Yosif Khanina through Rabbi Avin. Rabbi Avow says, "I heard it directly from him." Differently, Kochelet Bishum Tsovaat. Kochelet is the the uh, putting on the uh, the the blue. Eyeshadow is a subset of coloring. The other two are a subset of building. And then the Gemara puts the same challenge. Is this how someone builds? The answer is in a famous when God put Adam to sleep and then took a tselah from him, a rib or a side, out of him and he built it into a woman, the drasha is, that God braided Chava's hair, and brought her to Adam, kind of like a a shushbin, uh, bringing the bride to the groom. Uh, Then in the Greek islands, evidently there's a word, or something of that sort, which is the way that they referred to uh, braiding hair. But the idea is that braiding hair, could be, in a sense, considered to be binyan. I'm not concerned with the details of that, concerned with the notion of categorization here, and we're going to see yet another example of that on the next Talmud, something we also covered last week on the in Nahardea. He came to Nahardea, and they asked him, Why are you liable for milking a cow on Shabbat? Because milking. Machavets mishumai, so setting milk so that the curds separate. Machayev Amar l'hu mishum chol because machavets megaben mishumai, letting cheese sit and and become hard mishumai machayav Amar l'hu mishum megaben. So you know it's everything they asked him. Why is it אסור? He says because it's אסור. Amar le, so they said to him, Rabcha, meaning because he was quoting his teacher evidently. He must have been some sort of a collector of sticks. In other words, he, we don't think much of him. So he came to the Beit Midrash and asked them, why are these three things asur? Milking, or related to milk. Setting milk, uh, milking, setting milk to separate out the curds and then letting it settle as cheese. Cholev is a subset of mifarek which means you are separating something from that in which it is housed. Mechavetz mechayav mishum borer. Mechavetz is borer because you're separating one thing from the other. And megaben chayav mishum having cheese, um, set is a form of building. Now, what's all this talking about? So let's go to the source. The essential source is the Mishnah. It's in the second section here, source three, the uh, Mishnah in Parag Zion of Shabbat, uh, Mishnah Bet, uh, perhaps the most central Mishnah of the whole perhaps, which is Avot Malachot Arbaim achat. There are 39, or 40 minus 1, categories of Malacha, or groupings of Malacha. Avot Malachot. And it lists them, The first 11 of them are all from the very beginning till you have a sandwich, making bread, which includes plowing and planting, although it's planting and plowing here, and then harvesting and piling and threshing and winnowing and separating, and then grinding and then sifting and then kneading and then baking. Right. and all of those seem to be related to making a garment, starting from shearing wool. And then, and that set seems to be a whole series of things which have to do ultimately with writing on parchment, starting with trapping a deer, killing it, um, um, uh, slaughtering it, uh, uh, flaying it, um, uh, then salting it, etc., until you have, and then including writing. Writing is one of the Avot Malachot. And then, The last six are coming in, in uh, sort of in two pairs and then two odd ones. One is odd meaning disconnected. One is building and then de- demolishing, um, extinguishing and inflaming. And then, essentially means doing the last step that makes something ready and then caring. And that, again, is the list of 40 minus 1. Those are the Avot Malachot. Now, to clarify what the significance of this list is, for our purposes, we need but to look at source 4. There's an example. Tana So now, we have a bright that says, if somebody plants, and I remember planting was the first one of the avot, and then somebody prunes, and somebody then plants a tree. Zoraya so is planting seeds, so he plants a tree. Mavrich means he grafts, and Markiv is another form of grafting of a tree. Kulan, melacha, achaten. They are all one melacha. So to clarify, if someone were to take 20 seeds and have 20 holes in the ground, and let's say they thought it was Sunday and they went out and they popped 20 seeds in the ground and covered them up. Then what did they do? Did they do 20 things or one thing? The answer is they did one thing because they thought it was Sunday and, they, uh, and so they were, had one kind of shogeg here. And, they, um, and better yet, they knew it was Shabbat, but they forgot that planting was asur. And they did the same thing over and over 20 times. That's one thing. So what happens if they plant, they put some seeds in the ground, and then they go over and see another uh, thing that's growing that needs to be pruned, and then they go and water some things. These are all forms of planting, meaning these are all subsets of planting. So it's as if they're doing the same thing over and over and they're only liable for one. My Kamashmalan, so what's this teaching us a Kamashpalan? mein malacha enochayav ella achat. All right so right away we see and therefore this list is so vital besides for its own information because it gives us groupings and it says therefore that if you do one of these malachot and subsets of the same malacha it's as if you're just doing the same thing over and over and you're only liable for one one of the 39 malachot okay so therefore when we look back at our sugya we could say, perhaps what the Gemara is asking, why are you chayav for braiding? Why are you chayav for rouge? Why are you chayav for milking, etc.? Is to see, what is it a subset of? So, for instance, if we say that milking is an example of mifarek, and mifarek, by the way, you can see um, on, the, uh, on the list, it's actually written as dash, but that's mifarek. It's the same thing, um, and it's, uh, it's one, it's number five. Right? It's to take something out of its place where it's held, so therefore threshing and getting the wheat kernel out from the husk is dash. And therefore getting the milk out of the udder is dash. And what would be the implication of saying, mishum mishum dash? It means that if you were to milk a cow, and then turn around and squeeze some grapes, and then turn around and thresh some wheat, you did the same thing over and over. You're not chayav three times, you're chayav once for doing the same thing three different times. If on the other end you say cholev is its own prohibition, then that's a separate thing. And the same thing with all of these. So the discussion here may be about saying, how do we group these activities, and therefore what's the level of liability that exists? Maybe. But there may be something else going on. And now we're going to take a look at a whole different area of halacha, one that really belongs to Masachet Sanhedrin and not to Masachet Shabbat, but we're going to bring it back to Shabbat, and that is the issue of hatra'ah. So you have to remember that when we talk about Shabbat, we talk about prohibitions and things that are not prohibited, meaning this is permitted, this is prohibited. And if we say this is prohibited, we always have to ask the question, is it pro- prohibited de Rabbanan or de oraita? So the, the minute it's prohibited to Rabbanan, on a Torah level, it's permitted, and then for, for, from a Torah perspective, there can't be any liability or consequences for doing it because it's not it's not prohibited. However, when we talk about something that's prohibited to oraita, then we have to ask the next question is, did you completely violate what the Torah says? Which means, for instance, there's a minimal shiur, we talked about this last week, the minimal shiur of doing an activity. So if, the shi'ur for writing is two letters, and you wrote one letter. You perhaps violated, some a perhaps you violated what the Torah said, but there's no consequences because you did not do the full shi'ur. Okay, but now let's go to the next level. Somebody violated what the Torah said and completely did the full shi'ur. What's their liability? So we know that if the person was shogeg, which would either mean they thought today was Sunday or they did not know that this action was prohibited then they would be liable only for a korban chatat, and that would be it. If, on the other hand, they were acting with intention, which means they knew it was Shabbat, they knew it was prohibited, they didn't care and they went ahead and didn't, then they are chayv karet, which is a heavenly punishment, work it out with God. Beitin will likely administer makot, and we'll get back to that later on in our our shiur. However, the maximum that could happen is the death penalty. This is where hatra'ah comes in. The word Hatra means warning. So let's take a look at how that starts. In the beginning of Pashat Shoftim, in Devarim Zion, when the Torah talks about the juridical procedure uh, for getting to and administering the death penalty, Pasuk says, based on the word of two or three witnesses, the end of the Pasuk, but not one, a dead man will be killed. Now that phrase is a little bit pregnant. A dead man will be killed. And therefore, the Midrash Tanaim you see in Source 6 says, atir atzmo He has to let himself to death, which means he has to um, to uh, make himself vulnerable to death in order to be killed. What does that mean? We'll see. But the first thing is we want to take a look at the Ramah, Ramosha HaLevi Abu Lafia from Spain, 13th century, who wrote the, the fantastic Yad Ramah, a commentary on Sanhedrin, and Babatra, and in his commentary on Sanhedrin, he explains as follows, because this piece also shows up in the Gemara. We'll see it in a few minutes. He said, where did they get that from? Because the Pasuk says, yumat the dead man will be killed. Lema cry yumat, Let it just say, he'll die. And uh, say nothing more. Why does it say, the dead man will be killed? Why add the dead man? that he can't be killed until he's somebody who's already announced that he's ready to be killed. Here's how we should read the Pasuk. Yumat, the person who will be killed, somebody who's already said, I'm ready to accept the consequences for this. All right? And so he says, some people actually infer it a little bit differently. Because it calls him a dead man already. He's already considered dead before he came to Beitin. How could that be? He already said I'm ready to die for this. Okay, so let's see how this all plays out in the Gemara, which is the sugya in Sanhedrin in the fifth parak. Uh, as you see in source eight, the Mishnah in Sanhedrin tells us about checking witnesses and what questions you ask witnesses. And among the questions they ask witnesses, they ask them where did this take place, and most critically, when did this take place? They want to pin it down more critically because. Or partially because uh, any testimony has to be falsifiable, and the only way to falsify a testimony is, besides on the facts, uh, such as they testify somebody killed somebody else, and the supposed dead man walks in, is uh, is to have other people testify that these witnesses were elsewhere at the same time, and the only way to do that is to establish place and time of the testimony, and that's called edut Iashe atayachol lahazimat. <laughs> Among the questions they are asked is, Makirin Atem Oto. Do you recognize him? I Means the guy you're looking at in Beitan, you recognize him. And then, hitretembo, Did you warn him? So now, take a look in source 9, the Gemara then comments, Makirin Atem Oto. It then quotes a bright, Atanar Abanan. Makirin Atem Oto. It's an expansion. Do you recognize him? And then, Hitre tembo. Did you warn him? Kibela Lavatra. Did he accept the warning? I Means it's not enough to warn him. And then he goes ahead. He has to accept one. He says, yes, I know. He Did he make himself vulnerable to the death penalty? And then he dibor, not our concern right now. So Rashi, in his comment on this, he tirat mita means, when you warned him, al avor, don't violate this, shatam mita plonit. Because you're going to get this specific death penalty for what you're doing. Who, Omer, he says, I know it, I'm going to do it anyways. Come on. He can't be killed unless he, uh, he uh, can acknowledge that he's ready to take that. So skip the, the, the next line. Amar Ula. Torah. How do we know from the Torah that there is a notion of hatra'ah? So Tosfot here says, Minayin torah, and this is a critical thing. We're only asking about a case where the Criminal is a scholar. Why? And we're going to find out that there is a machloket about whether a scholar even needs Hatra, because the notion of Hatra is to clarify that the person knows the law, the scholar knows the law. Maybe. If you say the chaveh needs Hatra, then If he's not a chaveh you certainly need hatra'ah because how do we know that the guy knew what he was doing and knew what the prohibition was. Another detail. Okay, so now let's go back to the Gemara. How do we know that, uh, that you need um, specifically and readiness and an, an explicit acknowledgement of the consequences and a readiness to take the consequences in order to be able to get those consequences. So the Gemara quotes four different psukim. One, which is the, uh, the consequence for relations with one's sister. The second one is uh, intentional murder. The third one is, is the one I'd take, like to take a look at, the Ve'er They're all necessary, but this is the one I want to focus on because, we're gonna, because it's going to be the biggest thorn for our issue, and it's also the one that's about Shabbat. So, the Ve'er Tana ha'motzim she drew In this week's parasha, in Eretz last week's parasha, in parashat Shlach, just before the end of the parasha, there was a story about a man who was found collecting wood. We don't know what the prohibition was, but he was in some sense in viol- violation of Shabbat. And it says, They found a guy collecting wood, and then it says, and then... Uh, um, they found they brought the man who was collecting wood they repeat that phrase and the idea is she true bova dinamikosesh they warned him and he continued to do his thing now what they warned him about is unclear uh and so the Gemara then goes through and and justifies what that what that's or what or is that needed but let's go to the next section the remember one of the questions they ask is did he ex- explicitly acknowledged his readiness to die for this act. And this is not an act of martyrdom, this is an act of, uh, of venal act that he's uh, that he's gonna be killed for. But he said, I'm ready to die for this. Minalan, where do we get that from? Amaravitemachia amakra You matame smolamita we already saw this. Amravchan Eden Aramurasa really interesting case. A woman a girl is betrothed to a man, and she has consensual relations with another man. That's called adultery. They're both liable for the death penalty. A Now, this is a halacha that right now doesn't, doesn't impact on us. We're going to turn it right around, and it will. We have witnesses to this act, and they are muzam, which means these witnesses, Reuben and Shimon, come in and say, Susie, who's betrothed to Mike, um, had relations with Bobby on this particular day, at this particular time, in this particular place. And two other witnesses come and say, Reuven and Shimon, you were with us at the ballpark at the same time, you can't testify to that. Those are called Edim Zomamin. Normally Edim Zomamin get the same punishment that they were trying to mete out to other people. All right, which means that they were trying to get this these two people killed for adultery, therefore they're killed. And two people, of course, are free to go. He said Reuven and Shimon can't be killed. Why? They could come and say, Oh, we didn't come in order to get them killed. We just came in order to make sure that she can't be with her husband anymore, that she's an adulteress, but not for purposes of the death penalty. Now, that would work if part of their testimony was we issued no warnings. However, the problem is, they warned her. That's according to what they said. They're claiming they warned her. No, they didn't say they warned her. If they didn't issue a warning, or according to their claim, this whole made-up claim, they didn't issue a warning, then death penalty wouldn't be on the table for anybody. The answer is Abi Let's say that this young girl who's betrothed is herself a Talmud Chacham, and HaVera, herself a scholar. But I'll leave it, Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi, Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda has the position. We saw this alluded to earlier in Tosot. <laughs> a scholar, does not need hatraa. Why? The whole purpose of hatraa is simply to clarify that you know that the, that you know that the, that the guy knows that this is prohibited and he's not shogeg, and therefore we assume a scholar knows what he's doing. So now play it back. This girl, these, this Reuven and Shimon came and testified that Susie, who's betrothed to Mike, is having relations with Bobby consensually, and they came and testified that it happened. And they said, "Did you give a trial?" And no, we didn't give a trial because Susie herself is a scholar, and therefore Susie knew it was asur, which means that they were trying to get Susie killed. And they would have killed Susie. They would have killed Susie had it gone through. But Shimon Levi and Yehuda came and said, Ruben and Shimon, you were with us at the time. Adim mean, We're going to kill you, Ruben and Shimon." Ruben and Shimon could say, well, "We weren't coming to get Susie killed. We were just coming to break up Susie and Mike. That's all." And therefore, there's no consequences. But our our issue is not with the details of that case, but it's with the whole notion of chaver and a chaver ain't sari because the purpose of Hatra is is to clarify between Shogun and mesid, which opens up a very interesting door in the Rambam. The Rambam in source twelve says the following: echad tam in chacham vechan am haaretz, So the Rambam rejects Rabbi Yosef Yehuda explicitly and says whether you are a scholar or a regular person. You need hatra'ah, meaning nobody can get a corporal or capital punishment without hatra'ah. And then he says, The whole purpose of hatra'ah is to clarify the difference between shogin and mezi. Shema gaya. No, now. Then the Rambam goes on to give an expl- explication of how you do Hatra. The Kesev Mishnah asks the question that we're all asking. He says, tmoan, Source 13, Al Rabbeinu, I don't get the Rambam. I, I'm amazed at our master. He rules against Rabbi Yosef Yehuda. He rules like Rabbanan. Then even a Then why does he give the reason used by the Rabbanan's opposite number? The Rabbi Yosef Yehuda. In other words, the reason. That if Hatra'ah is there, just to clarify that this person was not shogeg, would therefore limit it to a regular person and put a scholar out, off, off the table. So he says, He says, He said, Rabbanan agree, this is how the Kasset Mishnah defends the Rambam. The Rabbanan agree that the purpose of Hatra'ah is to distinguish between Shogig and Mezid. right? But there's different kinds of Shogig. There's shogeg such as, I didn't know this is prohibited. There's other kind of shogeg, like, I didn't know today was Shabbat. That has nothing to do with scholarship. That just has to do with being aware. Right? He says, there's another kind of shogeg where a scholar and a regular person are all the same. So, for instance, a person takes a piece of meat, and he's eating it, and it's chelev and he's going to be chayav karet which means he'll get makot, and we warn him. And even though he's a Khaver, he knows Cheil Zassur, but he could turn around and say, I thought it was Shuman. I thought that it was per- permitted me. And therefore, they it, it, it would all be the same, which means the Rambam is doing something ingenious. He's taking the reasoning suggested by Rabbi Yosef Yehuda and saying that reasoning really applies across the board. Everybody agrees to that reasoning. However, the reasoning distributes differently. According to Rabbi Yosef Yehuda you, do, you 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 um, you would not have to do it because the only concern in issuing hatraa is a concern about knowledge of the law. He says according to Rabbanan there's another concern Hatra'ah is to make sure that there's knowledge of the facts, and that and that nobody's different. We always need hatra'ah to make sure the person knows what's going on. Okay, let's bring it back to Shabbat and our sugya, and we'll see something perhaps surprising in our sugya, which we'll revisit at the end. Again, we have the story of the Makoshesh. So Israel, the top page three, so Israel, find a man, or in the midbar, and they find a man mikoshesh on Shabbat. Again, we don't know what mikoshesh is liable for, and that's a different sugya. Was it me'amer or was it uh, was it motzi? so it repeats it the, the, the people who found him brought him Moshe to the leadership and they put him in a, um, in a uh, holding because they did not yet know what to do, now this is going to become a problem so Hashem says to Moshe the man has to die and he gets skila, and they go ahead and give him skila. okay now Watch what the Sifri says right here. Source 15. Why does it have to say It already says he was Why repeat it? That means that they told him means the Av. In other words, they said to him, don't do this because what you're doing is a subset of and then of course we don't know what they said because we don't know what the problem was. Was the problem that he was making piles of me of wood? It was the problem that he was carrying. But they said, what you're doing is a subset of this. Mikan, watch this. The Chol Avot Malachot Shabbat Torah for all avot Matrim Bahamain Malachtan. You always have to give Hatra'ah specific to the Malacha, which means it's not going to be enough to say to somebody, don't do that because today's Shabbat and that's prohibited. But you have to say to them, don't do that because today is Shabbat and that is prohibited under the heading of Tzoveah, under the heading of Shochet, under the heading of Tzad. And then, of course, something else, which is to say, and you will get this particular kind of death penalty for it, or at least to tell them, you will get a death penalty for it. Okay, now, the reason that this is difficult and we're going to see two more examples of this in the remaining sources. But the reason that, for the, that this is difficult is because the, the the Parsha turns back on itself. They did not know what to do with him, which means at the very least they did not know what kind of death penalty. Maybe they didn't know if there was a death penalty, which means that they could not have issued a warning to him saying, don't do this, this is under the subset of that of, and you're going to get this death penalty. They couldn't have said that because they didn't know what it was. And uh, and it doesn't even seem that clear from the text that they knew he was going to get the death penalty. All right. So the case of the Makoshesh, which is used as an example, is almost a counterexample. So at the end of Shira, I'll suggest a, a solution to the Makoshesh problem specifically. But let's take a look at two other examples of where this comes up in the context of Shabbat, uh, one in Masachat Shabbat, one in Masachat Moed Katan. All right, and these are the two uh, case, um, case studies, as it were. All right, the uh, first is the Mishnah Parak Perak Chaf, the 20th chapter, Perak Rabbi Eliezer, and it's a perak about, uh, about the, it's called Perak Tolin, uh, which is about a sieve, you're allowed to set up a sieve on Yom Tov, and, you're allowed, and once it's set up, if it's Shabbat, you're allowed to put things in it. A sieve like over um, for wine. Uh, and Chachamim disagree and take one step further back. They say the only thing you're allowed to do is if it's already up on Yom Tov, you can put it in. You can't put it in at all on Shabbat. Now that's the part we care about. Mishum look at the question. What kind of Hatra? What what when we give Hatra, the Hatra is to be us on account of what? When the guy is putting stuff into the sieve? Rabba Borer, that it's a that it is a subset of the Malah Malacha Borer separating. which is a kind of winnowing. And then they disagree and explain why each one of them is closer in uh, in in concept uh, to the sieve. Okay, but notice, Tosfot here, source 18, Mishumai Perush, de Havara and now we got to take a look at what this means. Havara l'chalei Yatzat. If you remember, we've seen this numerous times, is the Torah prohibits Malachan Shabbat, but doesn't exactly tell us what malacha is. We know that perhaps that harvesting and uh, plowing are, depending how we read the pasuk, in Shemot. Um, but the one malacha that is actually spelled out quite explicitly about Shabbat is eish. Lo tevat esh Shabbat. lamed pasuk gimel. Question is why is that one malacha? Uh, singled out. And here we have the famous Machloket Rabbi Yosin Rabbi Natan, whether Havara lechaleik yatzat or Havara lelav yatzat. Whether Havara was singled out to tell you that it is different than the rest and therefore all other malachot you have the death penalty for. This one is simply a regular lav, you get makot. Or, and this is the position we take, Havara lechaleik yatzat. Havara was there to tell you something about the entire list. This is the rule that we're familiar with from Rabbi Shmuel's list, called something that was part of a group. And then is singled out and teaches something. He's not teaching only about himself. He's teaching about the entire group. And that is the following that just like you're liable for Aish separately. You're liable for each of malachah separately. It's what we call chiluk malachot. And that is Rabbi Yochanan's famous explanation for why the Mishnah lists, in the sources we saw earlier, 40 minus 1, or 39 malachot, and mentions that list twice, that number twice, to tell you that if you did every possible thing on Shabbat wrong, the, most amount, the greatest amount of chata'od you'd have to bring would be 39. Because everything you did is subsumed under those categories, and, but you are liable for each one separately. You can't say, well, I violated Shabbat, then if I were violated and it's one Chatat. No, the Chiluk Malachot, the fact that Torah singled out Esh, says each Malacha stands by itself. And so the Fatosfut says, uh, uh, Tosad here says, Since Havarah is there to separate and individuate each of Malacha, it's as if the Torah said, Lo tikzor, Lo tachrosh, Lo tizra, Lo, right, on each one of the 39. de It's just like when the Torah says, Don't eat chelev and don't eat dam. They're separate. If a person's about to eat blood, which for each shechai of kareit, and you say, Don't eat it because it's wrong. You, you can't They can't be punished for that. And you say, don't eat it because it's chalev, they can't be punished for that. You said the wrong thing. You have to say dumb. So therefore, kach al-kom l'acha um l'acha. Tosfot says something remarkable, which is, when you give hatra'ah, it's not enough to say that's a violation of Shabbat. You have to say it's a violation of Shabbat under the subset of Zoraya. All right? And we're going to see a similar sentiment. Um, that, by the way, is Tosfot read. We're going to see a similar sem- sentiment in... Our standard Tosfot, in a minute, at the beginning of Masechet Moed Katan, the Gemara uh, says, Notice the question. If somebody weeds or waters their plants on Shabbat, what kind of hatra'ah do we give them? So Rabbah again, is here and says choresh. is a subset of plowing, and therefore you have to use that as the, as the hatra'ah. Yosef Amar Mishum Yosef says it's planting, and then they each give their reasonings, and Abaya challenges both of them, etc. Tosfot comments here: Mishum Mai Matrinan de Adam Lokev Neherag. Person cannot get makot. Person cannot get the death penalty. Ella Bahatra Shematrinan Bo Lo Unless they warn him, don't do this isur. And in the sugya that we saw in Sanhedrin, that you have to explicate the specific isur which is there. Otherwise, they can't get the penalty, the death penalty. All right, so now, let's roll back to our sugya and reevaluate what's going on. Back on page one, source one. Why are you liable for braiding hair? Or for the rouge? Why are you liable? Now, the, again, the question can be understood in one of really three different ways. One can be simply exploratory. Okay, the Mishnah said Yechayev. Why Yechayev? The second can be um, can be hierarchical, which is, under which subset does it apply so that if I do that and something else, which are part of the same subset, I'm only liable once. That's possibility too. So therefore, if Godelet is really a subset of bona of building then if I braid hair and I build a little building, I'm only liable once, because I did the same thing twice. Okay, it could be a categorization issue. But it may, again, be a different issue, which is, what kind of hatra'ad do you have to issue? When somebody's about to braid hair and you want to give them the full uh, the full benefit and, therefore, of course, the full liability, you say, don't do that. That's an esur of Shabbat. It's under the subset of building... And therefore, and you'll be liable, and this is the penalty, etc. And they have to say, yes, and I know, and I'm accepting it. And we have witnesses who heard all that. Then we can carry out the punishment. And if you didn't say that properly, and if you gave them the wrong subset, then it won't happen. So it could be that what our sugya is discussing is not categorization, but the formal process of warning, along with the categorization all right? Certainly possible, and that may be what's at the heart and soul of our sugya. One last note, just to finish this up, is the issue of the Makoshesh. and this is no longer part of the regular shiur, uh, as far as we're concerned, uh, the uh, the shiur itself we've completed, but just a note about the Makoshesh, because again, the Makoshesh brings a very big problem. If we're right that, um, and following Tosfut and Tosfut read, that you need to give hatra'ah and identify the subset of the malacha, then that means that the mikoshesh here is somebody who was doing an action that the people there were familiar with, they knew what the subset of the, it was a subset of which kind of malacha. they issued the hatra'ah, but they somehow didn't know what kind of death penalty it was going to get. Well, as we see in the sugyan sanhedrin, that doesn't work either. So, even if we were to assume all that, that they knew the, the malachot and what he was doing and what the prohibition was and what the subset was, then then uh, we still are failing in the hatra'ah. And of course, we'd have to question whether or not they actually knew all of that. So the question is, I'm going to ask is, when did this v'koshesh story happen? And this opens up the door to a whole different area, which I'll do very briefly, But that is that if you take a look at Sefer Bamidbar, you will see that Sefer Bamidbar is not ordered chronologically. It says it at the beginning, because Sefer Bamidbar announces in the first pasuk that it takes place in the beginning of the second month of the second year, and then in Chapter 9, it's in the first month of the second year. So we've already gone backwards. And then in Chapter 7, between those two, we suddenly have a description of the first 12 days of the second year, which is the dedication of the Mishkan, at some particular time in Parakhet, we've gone a little bit earlier when the Levim are dedicated in order to be able to help the Kohanim, which had to take place before Rosh Chodesh Nisan, when the Levim, when the Kohanim were going to go to work in the Mishkan. Uh, there's a huge machloket about when the whole story of Korah happened. Uh, and so there, there's a lot of, um, of uh, sequential um, jumps and starts and backs. In Sef Bar another example is in Bar Yud Tet is the first time we hear about Tumat Mate as a formal category and of Tumat OL and of course, is how to fix it. And yet, in Perak Tet, we hear about people who are Tume Mate and they can't yet get Tahor in order to be with the Korban Pesach, but Without Paraduma, how they again never, ever get Tahor? And more critically, back in Vayikra, Perik Yod, we we're about not and a dying, and Michelle and Safan have to pull them out of the Mishkan. And there's two issues there. One is, pull them out because their presence is mitame, And second of all, Elazani Tamar can't pull them out because they'll become tame, And all of that is information that's in Bamidbar, latent Bamidbar, which means that Bamidbar is not ordered chronologically, and the mitzvot in Bamidbar were given earlier, at least many of them. And the stories that Maimon bar may have happened earlier, and each one has to be kind of judged on its own on its own merit. The story of the Mikoshesh, when did it happen? So I'd like to suggest that the Mikoshesh is the same guy who went out on the second Shabbat of the Man when we're still not, still haven't gotten to Har Sinai, and went out and collected Man on Shabbat when we were told not to collect Man on Shabbat. This is before all of the juridical procedures were given and before the Deen of Hatra'ah was given and everything else. And therefore, they had no idea what punishment awaited him. They were just told not to go and collect. And therefore, he was given skilah, and this established skilah as the punishment. And really, Mikoshesh, in a sense, um, doesn't really fit as a model for Hatra. The reason it does fit as a model is because HaGadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe Rabbeinu to write it not early in Shmot when it happened, but rather in Bamidbar, and therefore it sits as a post-Sinaitic statement, even though it happened earlier. And the extra phrasing in there gives us a hint towards the issue of Hatra'ah, which means we have a curious case where the case itself is a case where Hatra'ah didn't happen, but the way that it's worded teaches us about how to offer further cases. Okay, everybody should have a wonderful day. Mirza Hashem soon we'll be able to regroup and study together. In the meantime, uh, we'll continue uh, via podcast and via Zoom. Every should have a wonderful day.